You are listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. Today we are proud to be joined first by Herman Geist to discuss his experience returning to New York at the end of World War II and the process of integrating back into civilian life. We will also be joined by retired Brigadier General Mike Eastman, Executive Director of the ETS Sponsorship Program, to discuss the program and Operation Greenlight. We hope that you will enjoy this episode in anticipation of Veterans Day later this week. Hello, Herman Geist. Welcome back to NYSEX County Conversations podcast. The last time we had you on as a guest of the podcast was December 7th, 2020. Your recollection of your experience in World War II were amazing. And I learned so much about you and the end of the war and your time in World War II. So thank you for doing that. We wanted to get you back on the podcast today to talk about what it was like to come back as a veteran. You were in Pilsen, what is now the Czech Republic, in May of 1945. Can you talk about the end of the, your experience at the end of the war, Herman? We, we went into Domusliche on May 5, and they built a monument for, the, for three of us in Domusliche, which we hope to see next year. From Domusliche, we went, we drove to the city of Pilsen, whereby on May 7th or May 8th, the Germans surrendered to us. At that time, the 15th Panzer Division surrendered and they came in 50 yards apart in full uniform. We stayed in Pilsen, in May, I'm trying to think of dates right now. On May 13th, 1945, we left Le Havre on the steamship Monticello for New York. We landed in New York on May 20th, 1945, and we were scheduled to go to Japan. However, on August 5th, 1945, Harry Truman decided to drop the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and our trip to Japan was canceled. We went to Camp Swift, Texas. When we were in Camp Swift, I get a call from the commanding general, General Armand, and he says, Lieutenant, you're being transferred. I said, where am I going? You're going to West Point. I said, gee, that sounds good. Then I made a mistake and I said, what, what am I going to be doing at West Point? You're gonna be a plebe. I said, oh, wait a minute, General. We just came out of combat. I'm a first lieutenant. I don't think I could do the hazing. Can I go back to my guys and talk about it? He said, yeah. Went back to the company and the officers were there and Lieutenant Heinemann said, Junior, they called me Junior. Junior, didn't you say you went to NYU for a year before you were drafted? 
maybe the army will give you a pass to a yearling instead of a plebe so you can not have the hazing. So I went back to the general and in those days, you have to remember, we didn't have fax machines. We didn't have computers. We didn't have emails. He had to send the letter to the War Department. I don't think so, but your guys want you. There were three of us scheduled to go to West Point from the Army in 1945. Two weeks go by and I get nervous. I finally get a call from the general. He says, Lieutenant, the War Department turns your request down. You have to go in as a plebe tomorrow. I had already made my mind up. I said, thank you, general. I'll finish my tour of duty. I ended, one of the I ended up being transferred to the fifth, uh, one of the service commands, and we were stationed at Fort Sam Houston. Fort Sam Houston had been turned into a military hospital, and there are a hundred generals there waiting to get discharged. Herman, can you can you talk about May twentieth when you came back from Europe? What was it May like 20th, to to get in into May New York? In New York Harbor, and on the dock with my father, with the photographer Irving Haberman, who was married to one of the workman daughters. He was there to do a, a, a life cover with Marlena Dietrich kissing a soldier. I was supposed to be the soldier. However, my officers said, no, you cannot do that. You're an officer. I said, I'll take my bars off. No good. So I had to pick somebody to take the picture and it made a life cover. That was my experience on May 20th, 45. There are many pictures Irving took that day. And I think I've shared some of them with you. You have, and they're great. And we'll see if we can uh, dig them up and, and put them on our website as part of this podcast. When I, there... when, I, when, I, when I was separated from the service in July of 46, I was put into a reserve unit, the 77th Infantry Division, which consisted of 30 people. We were stationed on the 13th floor at 30 Broad Street in New York City. The commanding general of the 77th unit was Julius, Major General Julius Ox Adler, general manager of the New York Times. The assistant division commander was Alfred G. Tuckerman, president of the horse show. The G4, or the quartermaster, was a guy named Winthrop Rockefeller, one of the five brothers. Also, they had a sister. The G3, the operations officer, was John Lehman, Senator Lehman's son. The G2 was Keith McKesson of the McKesson Robbins Drug Company. And the G1 
was Willis Terry from the Baldwin Locomotive Company, whose father started a 100-yard kickback when he played at Harvard. And then there was me. I was the general's aide. Well, what did what was uh, what what did your uh, unit do? Uh, what was uh, the the role of your unit there on the thirteenth floor in New York City? In well, eventually we were expanded into a into a full division. And if you remember, Barbara and I got married on June twenty fifth, nineteen fifty. And as we left the hotel, the newspaper were hawking, war in Korea. And my wife looked at me and said, are you gonna be called up? Because I was in a reserve unit and General Adler wanted another star. Winthrop Rockefeller said, tell your wife not to worry we had enough fighting. We don't want to go back anymore. So we stayed in the division and we used to go to Pine Camp, which became Camp Drum and it's now Fort Drum. How did I get out of the reserves? Well, I was on my way to becoming a general. And one day I was transferred to the honorary reserve. I called up and I said, what happened to my commission? We sent you your commission. You didn't accept it. So we transferred you to the reserves. I went home and I said to my wife, did I get anything from the army? And she starts to cry. Don't cry, tell me what happened. She said, well, you got your promotion. But when I read it, it said that if you accept it, you're going to be on duty in 72 hours if we need you. I said, okay, what did you do with the commission? She said, I called your mother. Well, you guys have mothers or had mothers. And my mother told her to tear it up. And that's how I got out of the reserves. And that's how I got out of the army. And I guess that's how I ended up with NISAC. Well, we asked you here to, as we prepare for this year's uh, Veterans Day, Herman, um, this is the first Veterans Day in 20 years that the U.S. is not embroiled in a conflict in the Middle East. And uh, this year, our counties are honoring our veterans with a campaign called Operation Greenlight. County office buildings, businesses, and, and residents, homes across the state are putting up green bulbs to light their buildings, houses, and businesses green to show our respect and our thanks to our servicemen and women who served in our armed forces across the world. Mark, so I am going to get green lights put up by all my neighbors. I'm going to do it at my Parks Foundation. I'm going to try to, of course, we're going to do it at the county. And yes, I will send Barbara out to get green lights and I'm going to talk to my neighbors about it. I'm going to talk to the town supervisor about it. And we will be 
happy to observe that. I truly hope that we have no more wars where we have to put soldiers' lives in peril. I think it's great that you guys are doing this. We should honor Veterans Day. If I remember, if the audience remembers, November 11th originally was a World War I holiday when the armistice was signed, and subsequently it became Veterans Day. I am proud to have been a veteran. I am certainly more proud of all the veterans that have followed me down the line. Thank you for your service, Herman, and thank you for joining us for today's County Conversations podcast. It's my pleasure to know you guys. It's my pleasure to be part of you guys. And I hope we can continue to share these experiences for a long time to come. The NISAC staff would like to express our sincere appreciation to Herman, his wife Barbara, their family, and all veterans in the state of New York and around the United States for their contribution and sacrifice to keep our country safe and protect our freedoms. For the second half of this special Veterans Day edition of County Conversations, we'll hear from retired Brigadier General Mike Eastman, Executive Director of the ETS Sponsorship Program. The excerpt you're about to hear is from a recent webinar hosted by NISAC as part of its Operation Greenlight campaign about the ETS Sponsorship Program, which is designed to help active duty service members successfully transition back to civilian life. You know, Operation Greenlight, um, you all know more than I about what it means for the state. I can tell you what it means as a veteran, right? It's just um, the recognition that it gives, the importance that it puts on service in our armed forces, uh, the fact that you are opening your communities up to these veterans, particularly in a difficult time where we're, we've come out of Iraq, we come out of Afghanistan, the, the, the wars have not ended particularly conclusively, which leaves a lot of veterans sort of wondering, you know, what, what, what have I done? What, 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 what is it worth? What does it all mean in the long run? Uh, so really the chance to talk to you today about how we can partner together to give these new veterans, to give all veterans really a place in the community in New York uh, that welcomes them home and lets them achieve uh, all those things in life that they want to achieve, taps into that great talent and sees them become the citizens that they uh, truly want to be. What we'd like to really do today um, is a couple things, right? We'd like to define the challenge that we see. Uh, we'd like to explain a little bit about who we are, what we do as a partner with you, We'd like to talk about what this looks like on the ground and execution, and then ultimately highlight some of the outcomes that it has both for our veterans, for your communities, and then for the state of New York. Thank you very much. So look, I'd like to start by just recognizing the challenges in front of us. And some of this, obviously you all know more than I do, uh, but I think it's good to frame why we're doing what we're doing and what the impacts are sort of across the board. So let's begin with our veteran population is declining. Um, part of that is simply the aging and the loss. Um, you know, we're at the tail end of the World War II generation. We're starting to lose uh, good numbers of our, our Korea and Vietnam veterans. So across the country, 
the veteran population is simply declining just based on sheer demographics. At the same time, though, some states are faring better than others. And many of the factors that lead to that are, again, out of, out of, out of the control of the state. You know, where veterans settled after earlier conflicts along the East Coast and in the Northeast isn't um, being met right now with new veterans coming out and settling there in some sense. At the same time, it's important to recognize that as we sit here today, the Department of Defense produces about 200,000 veterans a year. And we are losing an order of magnitude more of our older veterans than that. So there is going to be a decrement. Um, but nonetheless, this has an impact um, in our communities, economically, across the board as the, the veteran population goes down. Uh, and you can see there on the chart, as you know as well as I, um, that, that New York is really on the leading edge of those folks that are suffering from that decline relative to the rest of the country. So the, the real question for us, though, is not necessarily how to offset that, but how to make sure that as veterans are leaving the service, they are fully informed and make a great decision about what community is right for them. And that may be New York. In many cases, it is. I can tell you from my experience at Fort Drum, uh, we tend to find that where service members are when they leave the military has a lot to do with where they move as civilians. So we have some opportunities here. At the same time, there's a different side of this challenge, and it's the side that you know we come into this from um, more often than not. And that's um, no offense to national programs. I mean, I'm a product of the Department of Defense for sure, but at times they aren't as nimble or as efficient in connecting people to the services and benefits they've earned as we might like. And so our mission in this is driven by how do we put the veteran at the center of that conversation? How do we connect them to the benefits that they've earned? How do we set conditions so they make the right kind of landing into whatever community they choose? And then how do we get proactive rather than reactive? So if you imagine then we are in the business of optimizing the veteran transition experience, even as you are in the business of setting conditions to have uh, to attract veterans and to receive them in a way that sort of makes makes the whole thing come together. I think that's where our partnership overlaps. And so I'm just really excited to have the chance to talk to you a little bit today about, about what we do, why we do it, and, and, and how we go about our business. Um, next slide, please. So let's just start, and I'll spend a few minutes on this slide because I only have a few today. Um, what is the ETF sponsorship program? I won't read this to you. But I do think there are a few things that are really important to highlight. And Bill touched on the first one. Um, the first thing I would say is we are evidence-based. Our model is evidence-based, and it builds off of a series of evaluations that Joe Geraci and team have done over a number of years, many of them in New York. Um, and what they have validated is that, as you may know, right, veterans today, um, have negative outcomes up to and including suicide at much higher rates than the general age group in the population. And when you pair them with a sponsor, when they go through the transition period for the first six to 12 months, you can avoid many of those negative things. Um, a veteran with a sponsor tends to do much better in terms of transitioning and employment and medical care and all the things that they want but sometimes have trouble navigating on their own. So that's where we start. 
Uh, we start with let's pair a veteran with a sponsor and facilitate this transition. Now, how do we do that? A um, couple things of, of note that sort of differentiate us and really are what led to us joining in a public-private partnership with the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, because we are, quite honestly, the only, or one of the very few, and, and there may be some more out there, but the only that I know of, uh, proven evidence-based model in this space. Um, we connect with service members while they're still on active duty, uh, six to 12 months out. So we're establishing an, a relationship and enrolling them in our program with the goal of giving them time to process and understand what the transition means, to absorb the information. I, I gotta tell you, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ver, veer off script a little bit here, but so when I'm the Deputy Commanding General of Fort Trump, uh, which was a job, you know, is sort of one of the highlights of a career, um, part of my portfolio was managing the transition program. And um, the Department of Defense doesn't do a tremendous job. Uh, there's a lot of information that is sort of presented to service members in a very condensed period of time, uh, probably 40 or 50 forms a day. And there's just so much that they can't absorb it and make informed decisions. Many of them don't even really mentally acknowledge they're leaving the service until it's very late in the game. And that just doesn't set them up for success. So we're gonna try and get in front of that. We are getting in front of that by we're reaching out a year ahead of time and connecting with them and connecting them with a sponsor to help sort of um, guide them through this process because they're going through a major life change. Our sponsors, the second point, are trained to a VA standard. They're not social workers. Um, they are simply uh, great Americans with an interest in helping our veterans. We walk them through, you know, how do you talk to a veteran? Um, what are some warning signs you might want to refer them to if you see this? How do you connect them to resources? It's, it, it's really just based on a model that we used in the military for decades. And for whatever reason, it didn't exist in this space. Um, I tell folks, I moved 27 times over 30 years. Um, my wife wasn't happy about that, but it was what it was. And every time that our family moved, there was someone in the place I was going that would reach out and say, hey, we know you're coming, and how can I help you? What, what questions do you have? And you could, you could ask those questions that are relevant to every family that is transitioning. Um, they were generally, you know, fairly mundane, but pretty important around my kitchen table. What schools are, what are the schools like? What are the opportunities for my spouse to continue working? Um, what housing market looks like and where you might recommend that we live. Um, those are community uh, knowledge, that's community knowledge, and that's something that our sponsors are able to provide. And just having those conversations puts the veteran in a good place. Um, the fact that our sponsors come from the veteran's future community, one of the first things we ask them is where do you want to live? Um, and the, the, the breakdown on that, about 40% of them have a pretty solid um, answer. They know why and they know where. And about 40% don't, and then 20% are sort of on the fence. So we'll ask them, where do you wanna live? And then if they know, we'll link them up with a sponsor from that community to start answering those questions and facilitate uh, the transition. If they don't know, then we'll, we'll ask them, what do you wanna do with your life? What's important to you? 
Um, what are your educational goals? What are your employment goals? Where's your family situation? And then we can put in front of them the information from communities across the country that best aligns with those needs. And then they'll make a better decision and then we'll match them up with a sponsor. Uh, the fourth bullet point there and one that I think is really relevant is we're also getting away from the reactive wait for the DD-214 to come out before a community knows a veteran is coming. Uh, because the information we're gathering with their consent um, is coming from their own lips. And we know it's accurate. They know how we're going to use it. We, don't, we ask them every time before we use the information. But if a service member says, I'm going to Livingston County in 12 months, these are my needs, this is my family, this is where I'd like to live, we are absolutely then prepared to send that to Livingston and give them six to 12 months to set conditions for that family to arrive. It just makes the whole end-to-end -end transition process work. And then finally, we underpin all this, and I always give this short shrift, but we have a great technology partner that has built for us a, a series of customized tools. Um, I won't go through them, but the bottom line is it provides a common picture of that veteran, tailored to that veteran, to everyone that is part of this process. So the veteran develops an action plan. These are the things I want, need, desire that's shared with the sponsor, that's shared with the community. And so everyone now knows what they're getting and what it would take for this veteran to connect and be successful. At the end of the day, at the end of all these bullet points, our model, when it's working at its best, is aligning federal programs with state programs around local communities with the veteran at the center of that discussion. A problem we see a lot is that it's not a lack of trying and it's not a lack of resourcing. It is a lack of information transfer. Uh, and our veterans are often left to navigate the multitude of programs uh, that advertise themselves as helping veterans in this space. The 40,000 plus veteran service organizations that are out there without any way to gauge who's right for them who's good, who's not as good. Uh, so we're aligning around the governmental structure um, based on advice and, and help from the community where the service members are going so that we can bring new residents in with a successful transition and everybody's a winner in this space. So with that understanding of what we do, um, the next step is why we are here and, and why this opportunity to partner with the, the counties of New York and the state is really such a great one for us. Um, we really want the veteran to be connected to the community that makes sense for them. Um, on one level, it doesn't really matter as much to me. I don't pick winners and losers. Um, I just want to make sure that folks that are leaving the military and going into the civilian community are doing it for the right reasons. You would laugh, but you know most of these decisions for our younger veterans uh, are driven by where is my family live, or where is my girlfriend or boyfriend, or where is the first job that I can pick up. And, and a lot of times, don't they, those don't end in success uh, because it's only a small sliver of the picture. They don't understand that the community they're going to may not be right for the family, or or it may not have the right educational opportunities for the kids where that job may not be everything that they thought it was gonna be. Or, or potentially, and we see this occasionally, 
the degree they want to pursue isn't even offered in regional communities. Um, and so what they'll do is go to these places and then have to do a second sort of reassessment of either scaling down their goals or having to move again. Uh, we don't want to do that. What we want to do is connect them early and inform them to the great opportunities across New York. You know, with Fort Drum, with West Point, with some of your reserve and guard units across the state, um, we're, we know based on our, our enrollment that a very good percentage of folks serving in New York want to stay in New York. Uh, we just have to connect them with the right information early enough so they know where. Uh, it isn't necessarily always in the city. It isn't necessarily always in Watertown. Um, there are opportunities across the state. And the question is, you know, what are they missing because they simply don't know about them? Once we do that, once we get the counties involved, the communities involved, the state involved, uh, this simply scales. We've seen it in other places. It scales uh, and it's really a thing of beauty. The second reason is we really, and this is a personal goal of ours, is we want our service members to feel while they're transitioning into the civilian community, the same way they felt when they were coming into the military, the same way they felt when they were moving from post to post while they're serving in uniform, that the community cares, that there's a welcoming uh, group there that wants to help them to get settled, to meet their goals, to be contributing, contributing to the organization, whether it's a, a military unit or a city or a county. And so I think there's a way we can do that. And I think this is a really a great opportunity. Uh, and then finally, the technologies in terms of steps ahead. Um, what, what do we offer uh, in, in this partnership on the technological side? One is we're working very hard to support both the virtual relationship and the in-person relationship. As you, might, as you might imagine, connecting with someone 12 months before they leave the military, you may find service members in California or Hawaii or overseas that have identified New York as where they wanna go. So we have a, a range of virtual tools from chat, secure chat, secure video, all the things you would expect on our platform that will allow the community, the sponsor and the service member to connect. Um, and you know we can work around different time zones. Uh, we can work around different work schedules, all of that to make this as easy as possible for the sponsor and the service member. Thank you for tuning in to this special Veterans Day edition of County Conversations. To learn more about Operation Greenlight and the ETS sponsorship program, we encourage you to visit nysac.org slash Operation Greenlight. There you can find links to the ETS website and the full webinar recording.